Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. And check back tomorrow for our weekly haunt news roundup. Okay, here's this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Oh, from our studios in Sacramento and Abu Dhabi, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. And Scott, Disney has released their Q1 earnings, and I thought we would start with uh, reviewing those and see uh, what happened on that call. Ugh. So, I'll, I have a little um, details on, on each of the areas, but the, the big thing, and I'm kind of reading this from CNN, kind of the, the big summary here, is that the plan includes reducing 7,000 jobs from its global workforce and cutting $5.5 billion in costs and reorganizing into three divisions, a Parks and Experiences unit, an ESPN division, and Disney Entertainment. So cost-cutting and organization, basically. The overall standing of the company had improved by 8%, primarily due to the theme parks and experiences, which saw substantial growth. So essentially, theme parks did really good, streaming is struggling, and the shareholders want to get some dividends back because they hadn't been getting dividends since the pandemic. So he's like, we'll, we'll do cost-cutting, we'll reorganize the company to focus on creative, and we'll keep pumping in theme parks uh, because they're doing so well. Uh, and under the cost-cutting, it's they noted that 50% of the savings would come from marketing, 30% from labor, and 20% from less spending on technology. On streaming, their subscribers were down 1%. But if you remember, there's a lot of changes right. that they brought to it. Like they had the ad tier and all this stuff, right? So there's their subscribers were down. Their losses were also down to 1.1 billion from 1.5, but I still think that's that's still significant, right? And of 1.1 billion a quarter, they're losing uh, on Disney Plus trying to make that a thing. But he's it's clear from the call that Iger still believes that streaming is the the the, the kind of like the path forward. He did mention that it has become very expensive, though. But he he does think that it's like the pass forward for the company and in tandem with streaming is the reorganization, which he says will help with creative production, which he thinks the creative production and the, the generating of new IP will help them with the streaming. And then the last announcements they made in that vein is that there's going to be sequels for Toy Story, Frozen and Zootopia and an avatar experience for Disneyland. Uh, so it was a lot, but I guess, um, was any of it surprising to you? Because honestly, none of it was surprising. And I know the 7,000 jobs really made people freak out. Like, I think that was the headline that everyone chose. But they didn't cut those jobs from the theme parks. <laughs> and in fact, I bet you that they will be hiring for the summer rush. Well, soon. yeah, I mean, this it just makes sense that when you're... If, if your goal is to get some money back in your shareholders' hands, 
if if the dividends is the goal, yes. then if you know, let's assume let's assume that you're relatively flatlined on your income. I, I know that's not necessarily the case here, but you know, the only way to the only way to get that that money and get that money into your your shareholders' hands and keep them happy um, is to to reorganize. It's to to cut it from somewhere. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I think you're right. I think the seven thousand jobs is not going to come from the theme park side um, because you know that's Mm-mm. that's their cash cow right now. That's where they're that's where they're doing well. That's where they're seeing good returns on their investments. Um, the, streaming, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, st- streaming, just as a, as a consumer, um, Disney has been coming after me hard. On streaming, they've been they've been asking, they've yeah. been finding new ways to package. They've been finding new, all these different ways to get me to become a, a streaming subscriber. And I am I'm not a Disney Plus subscriber, which is interesting. But they're still going after me really, really hard. Um, so they're 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 trying to get that. They're trying to make that work. Um, but it sounds to me like they're kind of doubling down on their their multi platform model, which is. Yeah, they, they, it seemed like they were yep. going away from that for a while. It seemed like it was like they were putting all their money into the streaming side and all their money into the, the but they're coming back to the, we want to get you streaming, we want to get you in parks, we want to get you in, even in in uh, recordings and, and secondary sales of, of films and music from films and, and content. So... Uh, no, none of this is none of this is surprising, and it all seems to make sense. I think it's very interesting that um, the a lot of the the cuts are coming from marketing. Um, this yeah. this this sounds very familiar. There was a time back in uh, you know back in the corporate theme park days where uh, on a on a park level. Now this is obviously not on a company level, but on a park level. We were able to, when our budgets were slashed significantly, um, we were able to keep as much of the product budget as possible, reduce the marketing budget, and let word of mouth do the rest. Um, and that was in the very earliest days of social media. That was in the very earliest days of, of marketing, you know, letting, letting the consumer actually do the marketing for the company. So um, I think that is a an interesting, it's not new, it's not unique, but I think it's a very interesting way to, to look at cutting. Um, putting the focus again, back on the product, back on the multi-tier, back on the let's, let's let the, the Disney brand, uh, touch the, the consumer on multiple levels in multiple ways, and then let them promote it. So it, it, it all yeah. makes total sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. What are you saying about the marketing? I think echoes what we talked about a little bit previously, which is that, you know, whenever there is talk of, even just talk of a recession, right, you know that the marketing is always dips. And we've seen that uh, all the tech companies are struggling, you know, kind of all of the people that rely on selling advertising to support their content is is struggling just because of the reduced of advertising from everybody. So, yeah, that that I think that in, in I was like, well, that tracks with with everything, and it it also does track that even though we are kind of potentially heading into a recession, and that could impact the parks, but you know the shareholders still want 
Like he still wants to make, it's kind of like make everybody happy. He wants to still make the shareholders happy, but cut from marketing so that, you know, it's kind of expected. No one's going to get upset about it. going to, you know, go in that, keep in that vein. Um, the reorganization is interesting um, because, you know, they had just reorganized it previously. And then, you know, Iger comes in and reorganizes again. But, you know, supposedly it's to give more creative control essentially to the managers of individual projects and then make them more accountable for the financial success of the project they're leading. So kind of like more creative control and less having to pass off the decisions, but then also you're responsible for whether or not you're- Well, and it also kind of goes back to what Disney was built on, and that is- if you if you build it, they will come. I mean, if you do, if you create good product, if you create good content, that's really where the profit's going to come. Um, yes, you have to be smart about it. You have to be smart about your spend. But um, it's it's it all comes down to it's all about the content. It's all about making certain that what you are what you are producing creatively um, is top quality. And if you're creating something people want to see, they will find ways to see it. Um, and I think I think that's what he's doubling down on. I I hope that's the case. I mean, obviously as a yeah. creator, uh, as a creative, I hope that's the case. Um, and I hope that uh, all the people that that are in the in the process and in the pipeline for Disney are are going to be able to deliver that for the company. Yeah, you know, reading through it as it's going to sound so egotistical but in a way but what i mean is like i read through it, i was like oh i don't really disagree with anything here but what i mean more by that is that i think everything makes sense and i think overall it it does seem like a a correcting because i i do think that the kind of we talked about this too way way when 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 bob iger came back in but they've just not had a really good running hit with their with their creative output you know, like you said, con- making content king, like they, they haven't been <laughs> doing a good job at that previously. So it's like, and if that is their core, it, which he's saying it is, and we've talked about how important that is, you know, then realigning the company and basically cutting the non-creative people, right? Like cutting the non-content people. and to So like make shareholders happy, throw some money at them, but cut that from other places, then reorganize the company and focus on, creating great IP and then just kind of like let the parks do their thing because they really didn't talk about the parks like at all other than they were doing great. So, and I think, I think that's fine. Like let, let the parks do their thing. And uh, he did mention trying to change around some of the policies and make the park experience better. And I agree with that, but you know, it's, we also talked about, we talked about all this, right. About how like the parks are not the concern and like, you can't, um, you almost can't justify coming in and working on that immediately because it's not the concern. The concern is these other things. And I think he's done a pretty good job of like addressing a lot of concerns and trying to refocus the creativity. And hopefully that they'll ride avatar into another really great creative output project and then, you know, get their, get their. Yeah. And you know, I'm a little concerned that they're, that they're putting, putting a lot of, or, or appear to be putting some uh, some weight in Avatar. Uh, to me, that's an older IP that I don't think is yeah. quite as as uh, vibrant as some of their other options. But I will say that obviously, Toy Story and Frozen print money, 
So, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. By keeping by keeping those brands fresh and exciting, I mean it, it, it's to me it's kind of just going back to what Disney's always done. It's why Disney was so unique and and why, in my opinion, they were so successful because they were always focused on content. Now you know it's interesting because swinging back and I and I do think it's a pendulum swing back to the theme parks. Um, it, it's something that you know yeah. we've talked about that, uh, during the during the pandemic, of course when people couldn't go to the theme parks, they had to find new ways to get the content into people's hands. Um, and they've done that. Yeah. But what's interesting is the demand is no longer that essential to come through streaming the streaming networks. So now the demand is to get it in person. And uh, so now they need to refocus, and it sounds like they are, they need to refocus their, uh, yep. their energies back into that side because people are leaving the streaming platforms because they don't need them anymore. You know, they, they're not locked at home anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. Then you mentioned that. I thought that was the kind of the last point I thought was interesting about kind of like what you just mentioned. Like if you compare that to Universal, right? Universal is like doubling down hard. We just talked about how hard they're doubling down on expanding their in-person experiences and into new markets and just testing and like adding what, like 2 billion <laughs> or like over 1.2, you know, some, some crazy number adding that to their, their expenditure for theme parks, Disney added 200 million. So, you know, universal essentially five or six times as much that they're adding to the budget for expansion in, in person. But yeah, it, it's kind of like, essentially it's like Disney is like, we've we got to take a step back and fix our content before we double down or just kind of leave the the in-person stuff doing its thing. And meanwhile, as you said, like, you know, it's important. And then Universal is like, is like, we just, we're just going to all in on this in-person and expand into new markets. So it's, uh, it's just interesting to see how, how they're both, they're taking a little different. They're approach. taking different approaches, but kind of heading in the same direction. So I think that's, I think that is interesting. And it's not yeah. just them. I mean, we've reported, you know, on, on this show, um, even, zoos and you know smaller nonprofit organizations making these great long-term robust plans for expansion um because again they see the wave of, of yeah. in-person is coming back so you know it's uh and and because because the the because they need something to talk about to keep their their product top of mind they're doing long-term planning as opposed to wait we'll hold this announcement uh, until we're nearly done. That's what it used to be. You know, we'd hold the announcement close to our chest, and now they're doing these announcements that are saying, in 100,000 years, we'll be opening these parks, you know, are opening this expansion. And that's not just Disney and Universal or any of the other major theme park chains. It's also the independent zoos and nonprofits that are, that are doing the same thing. So they're looking towards a brighter future, yeah. and they're investing and kind of putting their money where their mouth is. Agree. All right. Well, um, the, the next story I put here is, is related, but uh, related very deeply, uh, kind of speaking of, of trying of, of all of this and trying to make the, what they're trying to cost costs in and whatnot. Um, in the background behind his talk on the shareholder meeting was the news that came out that the new contract offer was rejected by the union, the Disney union, basically, in a in a decisive vote of ninety seven percent against. Disney employees responded to a new five year contract deal that would 
Disney descri- that Disney described in a statement as a nearly 10% on average raise immediately, as well as retroactive increased pay in their paychecks. So yeah, the, it, it was a very clear rebuke of that. And of course, you know, it's all over the board as to what that would have meant. But essentially, it would have meant with kind of an immediate start at 16 for most ones, and some would be higher, but it'd be kind of like 16 up to 20 over a five-year period. So kind of like a dollar a year type of thing um, for, for a lot of the the roles, a lot of them being, of course, in the front line, in the theme park, and in those kind of areas. And of course, um, of course, Disney says that they're disappointed that those increases will now be delayed, which is such a, a passive-aggressive comment that I'm surprised it made it um, into a press release. But um, in this one, actually, I disagree. Well, obviously, and, and, you know, I, I, I always kind of disagree with, with them on this point. Like, I, I think that um, I know they're cutting 7,000 jobs now, but they're going to need people in the parks to run the parks. They're going to need frontline service people to print their money for them. And, and as we discussed, having somebody at the churro cart is printing money. So you need to have somebody at the churro cart. And it's like, I I think, you know, especially in California and in these places, like, I think that we need to get more into the mindset of having a career prepared for all of our employees and, and not just assuming that we're going to get a bunch of immigrants or a bunch of college kids that are going to do it. We're going to have to think about, you know, what, what does the life look like for the woman who want, who work, who, who's going to run the churro car on main street for 30 years? What, like, what is that career path going to look like? And I think that it's not getting paid 16 and then in five years, because 20, because that's not going to keep pace for inflation. It's laughable, basically. It's laughable to say that at the at how we've seen inflation and prices already go up, it's laughable to say that $20 in five years is going to be livable. It's not livable. And I, I'm my, my ask would be 25 now, <laughs> like 25 now for California, at least for those areas in California, like where I am, because that, that would put you right at the barely livable, right above poverty line. So, so no. So, well, I kind of push back on. I think on that, I think but. this is I think this is interesting though because, you know, on the one hand, we're saying that they want to put money back into the into the shareholders uh, that we want to get the dividends. <laughs> exactly. And, now, and exactly. now you're saying, well, this this contract agreement is they need to spend more. So uh, you can't have both. That's what we have to recognize. You can't have yeah. both. One of the things that I am seeing is um, because. Because staffing has been pretty much a bear this past year for for any and all theme parks, um, certainly the ones that I've been involved in, and it's not just in the United States; it's happening everywhere. So, because it is a it is a uh, a performers market or a, a frontline employees market, um, they're starting to recognize it and they're starting to say, "Yeah, I'm not going to do it unless I can get 33 bucks." Which is which is fine. Yeah. I think you know, great, go for that, pitch it. Or what's going to happen is they're going to find ways to reduce the number of employees. So what's going to happen is the people who are making thirty three, but I mean, the budget's not going to yeah. change. The, the the labor budget's not going to change. Yeah. So instead of hiring, and I'm going to make it simple, since so I can understand the math, 
instead of hiring, um, you know, instead of hiring a hundred people at $10 an hour, they're going to hire 50 people at $20 an hour. So what it's going to do is it's going to create, uh, it's going to create unemployment. It's, it's, it's going to mean like you can't work in this industry. Now, maybe there are enough people out there who figured out entrepreneurial ways to, to work during the pandemic that don't involve going to jobs, going to work. Um, you know, is, is this, is this particular contract, um, fair and robust enough to, to get people, to elevate people above the poverty level? No, probably not. But at the same time, um, you know, you say you'd, you'd want 25 now and, and 35 in the next five years. That's great. Then we can hire half as many people. So you, you kind of have to look at, you, you can't just look at what is it for the frontline employee. You have to look at it as what is it for the company and will it end up costing jobs they're getting rid of 7000 jobs now 7000 jobs worldwide is like a drop in the bucket to be completely honest for disney but if they're reducing yeah. their yeah. labor staff already and now they're pushing back hard 97% pretty strong rejection um so i i, I i'm not sure what the answer is but i think you have to kind of be careful what you ask for cuz long term it could be catastrophic for the for the frontline worker so i, I I don't know which is worse. I really don't. I don't know whether it's worse to take a lower pay rate or have fewer jobs available. Yeah. I, we've talked mm -hmm. about this before. <laughs> Listeners can go back to one of some of our previous episodes. Scott and I kind of definitely disagree on this because, you know, I guess a, a lot of my counter is is the same thing we, I, we talked about last time. Like I, I, I don't think that it's the responsibility of one company to fix the entire labor market. So I think it's kind of like, irrelevant in that regard. Like they don't have to worry about that. They have to worry about making sure that they keep their staff and they give them a career path. Um, I also believe I don't have the answers as I said last time, but I think the question I would ask is how do we redefine the frontline jobs to give them a career path instead of just the attitude of, we're just going to get a bunch of kids in and we're going to have them work the trail cart and they're going to leave. And then we're going to like, and then the, the next thing I would mention is a lot of people have left the workforce permanently. Our workforce has shrunk permanently. And currently, we're at record low unemployment. So if if it were if the unemployment were to tick up a little bit, that wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing. And it would help ease <laughs> some of the inflation a little bit. So it, it wouldn't be a bad well, thing. Well, it would be for um, those who are unemployed. And just the last thing just I mean, to it give, would be for those who are unemployed. And you're saying, you know, you're looking at it going saying, these yeah. people can't can't live in California at sixteen bucks an hour, which is true, which is true. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to give the uh, just just to give so people know what I'm referencing. So um, the a lot of the positions are fifteen to sixteen right now, kind of depending on, on what you work in. Some positions get paid more. You know, I mean, there's a scale, just like yeah, you, we're talking. We job, are talking right? the but, lowest but paid the, people in on in Disney on Disney property. Correct. Yeah, and. And uh, the the latest uh, calculation from MIT, um, people can go look it up. But the MIT living wage calculator is what I was using to reference it, and it does it does say that like the LA County, it should be twenty one, twenty two as of right now. And so the people that are getting paid the lowest, if they're at fifteen, and the the lowest to be able to be livable to afford rent be twenty one, that's the gap that right. I'm talking about. And, so in case anybody was like, "What are you talking right. about, Philip?" But that's you're what I'm also assuming about. that these sixteen dollar an hour people are paying rent. That they're not living at home. That they're, that yeah, they're exactly, exactly. 
not college students or yeah. they don't have other jobs Correct. maybe, or they're not working like side jobs. So there, there's a lot of variability. Um, I also do want to point out, we don't know all the reasons why they said no exactly. to the offer. It could have also been benefits or paid time off or any of those things. I'm, I'm just kind of uh, um, like, they didn't say why they just were like, no, where, and like Disney was the one that was like re- issuing all these statements about how disappointed they were. Um, we didn't, it's not like we got an individual, like this is, this is what they wanted. So right. I just want to point that and, out. And too. I don't and, want, um, I'm just kind of projecting my, my thing on top of it. I'm speaking for them. So I just wanted to and, clarify. And I don't want, that. and I don't want anybody to think out there that, that I am opposed to a living wage. That's not at all the cost or not at all. The, not at all. My point. My point is that at what cost yeah. do a certain number of people, yeah. you know, we're, exactly. we're, we're trying to cut a pie. Yeah. We're cutting a pie. And how many yeah. pieces do we cut it into? Yeah. You know, we can cut it into four really big pieces yeah. or eight tiny pieces. And maybe the answer yeah. is six. You know, yes. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, yeah. I, think, I think it is naive to say we have to make certain that everybody makes a living wage and everybody has to have a job and everybody yeah. – well, uh, yeah. We're now not talking a government or a real world that we live in. So, and at the same time, we have to make certain that benefits and dividends are going back to the stockholders. So it's a much, it's, it's not nearly as simple as a lot of people think it is. And to your point, Philip, I wanted to bring that up too. So I'm really glad you mentioned it. We don't know all of the details as to why people said no. And my guess is money, all too often money, uh, hourly wage is not the reason people reject a contract in most cases. Um, It's the thing everybody wants to lead with because it's real easy to quantify. It's real easy to put into nice little understandable gobbits of information, little chunks of information. Um, But it's usually a much more complex issue than just hourly wage. Yeah. Well, speaking of all of that, um, my next section is just more like just putting it out there to just <laughs> um, give us more context for this because I think a lot of people, I think, at least I am, are watching what is going on with these negotiations. And the reason is because it is hiring season for a lot of attractions. And we got notices this week from so many places. Carowinds in the Carolinas is hiring 2,400 positions. They're starting, I mean, they're starting like, Next month, a lot of these places are starting this next month or in March or kind of preparing to staff up. Dorney Park is holding a hiring event looking for 2,000 people. And Cedar Fair has announced they have 35,000, like 35,000 positions across their parks. And they're holding a big job fair in the next coming months to try and fill most of those positions. So um, this is a big we talked about it, we talked about it, we talked about it, and here it is again. I mean, it's a big concern to fill all these, and that that's kind of why I think the context of, I imagine a lot of people are looking at the, you know, the negotiations that's going on on this side with the Disney and with employees, and then also looking at, you know, the hiring that everyone else is trying to yeah, do. Yeah, you know, and again, we've talked about this ad nauseum. We've talked about this in great detail, yeah, and, so and I've, you've, you've heard me make the statement on this show and on, on, on my other podcast as well. I don't think I've done a project in the last year that has opened fully staffed. Um, and I, and I yeah. look at these numbers and I think, oh, goodness, how is that ever going to happen? 
And I will also point out, um, I have a whole new perspective now that I'm no longer in the U.S. You know, for a while. Um, this is not a U.S. problem. This is a global problem. This is a global issue. Hiring for the theme park industry is a challenge, and I, I'm seeing it. I, you know, I'm seeing it anecdotally here, just as I as I walk around the parks, um, in in this part of the world. So uh, it's yeah, it is an ongoing challenge, and I wish I knew the answer. Like I said, I I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure it's just hourly wage. I'm not sure that it's, you know, I, I, I think I think where we do agree, Philip, is I think there does need to be some sort of uh, career ladder or career path on paper. Um, but I've also found out with um, some of my clients back in the states, as as well as as some of the things that I've heard about here, um, people who are taking these jobs they don't they don't want education. They don't want to continue on in this industry. Yeah. This is a this is a stopgap job. This is a college job. This is a oh that'd be fun. Let's try that for a while kind of job. So I don't know whether I don't know whether the career ladder or the career path is going to help change this position. Uh, is going to help change the, the the disposition of this situation. Let me put it that way. So I, I I've been in this industry for you know. 20 plus years, 20, almost 25 years, uh, more than that now, I guess, almost 30 years. And I'm baffled. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. yeah to be continued. Absolutely. Right? I, and um, I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping continued. that, the, that the, the Disney folks and the Universal folks and the Cedar Fair folks and the Dorney Park folks and the Carowinds, I hope, I hope they have something that they can try. I mean, I've heard things like, and then, and then I talked to some of my friends who are like independent uh, casting agents or, or talent providers. Um, and of course, I'm always looking at the talent side because that's what I do. Um, but I look at talent providers and they've got, they're trying to now compete for people with companies that are doing these giant signing bonuses, which by the way, have a lot of caveats and they're hoping that yeah. they'll, uh, they won't have to pay it all out, you know, get some of it in breakage. And, and they're fighting. So, and they're, and they're now competing and they can't afford yep. to pay the people the same thing that these people are going to make if they hit all the caveats in the signing. But I mean, it's, it's not getting any simpler. It is getting more and more tangled and more and more twisted and more and more convoluted. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah. I, I think my, my only one comment on there is about the career ladder thing and people not wanting it. Um, I, I, I would say I have seen some stories <coughs> in reporting from the New York Times and from some some of the big institutions that report. Um, I have I have a hypothesis for part of that, and the hypothesis is that, as we've seen in a lot of service industries during the pandemic, people that maybe were going to make it their career they had to move on or they had to go into different, mm -hmm. different, mm -hmm. whatever. And so I think in 2019 was our top. And that, that was like, you had people that wanted to, you know, like me, I went to school for hospitality, right? And a lot of people that went to school for culinary hospitality or whatnot. And then they were suddenly out of work and they kind of moved on, maybe went into insurance or went, you know, went, went somewhere where they could work and are now just kind of out of that. So I think that there's going to be a little bit of a building up. Like we have to build back, I think basically, I think right now you're just you're hiring people that just want a job, right? They may you're right. I think 
there's less, my hypothesis would be that there's less people that care about the work of hospitality now, but that we will return back to 2019 at some point where you have people doing the jobs because they want to serve, they want to follow that as a career. I, I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Well, <laughs> I, one thing I do know for certain, other than the rest of this conversation, is that we are out of time. So uh, that is the end of yet another episode of Green Tag Theme Park and 30. On behalf of Philip Hernandez, <clears throat> excuse me, as I choke on my own on my own phlegm, uh, on behalf of Philip uh, with uh, Gantam Lighting and uh, the Haunted Attraction Network and myself, Scott Swenson, this is Green Tag Theme Park and 30, and we will see you again next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network presentation.